Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to be assisted in our efforts today by, well, some first-class journalists. In our second segment today, we'll be joined by Robert Perry, who broke many of the Iran-Contra stories in the 1980s for the Associated Press. He's written a new book, Secrecy and Privilege, Rise of the Bush Dynasty from Watergate to Iraq, and I assure you he will be a most interesting person to talk to. We will also be speaking briefly with Susan Capilouto, reporter and producer for Georgia Public Radio, about some interesting developments at the Supreme Court with some arguments being made about... Stickers, which are acting as uh, disclaimers for the theory of evolution. And we'd like to start off today with a bit of humor provided by Julie Credens, host of State of Affairs, an excellent uh, radio call-in program, which uh, operates out of Louisville, Kentucky, on WFPL. Julie has sent us a uh, dispatch from the Tenth Circle, from the Onions uh, calendar, which I, which I think is worth reviewing. Headline, Hippocratic Oath Under Review by HMO Board. Indianapolis, in a development bioethicists and healthcare industry professionals are watching closely, Indiana HMO PhysCare Plus, one of the largest and most powerful HMOs in the nation, announced Thursday that the Hippocratic Oath is, quote, under review. According to board members, the 2,400-year-old oath attributed to the Greek physician Hippocrates and generally acknowledged as the cornerstone of medical ethics, is, quote, outmoded and no longer economically viable in today's complex, rapidly changing healthcare environment, unquote. Our goal has always been the same, to provide customers with dependable, first-rate healthcare. But it is becoming increasingly difficult to do so when we are hampered by an ancient moral code penned by a contemporary of the historian Herodotus somewhere between 470 and 360 B.C., said Dr. Cedric Sams, head of the PhysCare Plus board. According to Sams, the Hippocratic Oath is too narrow. Take, for example, he said, the portion of the oath which states, I will follow that system of regimen which, according to my judgment, I consider for the benefit of my patients. By putting the patient's welfare above cost considerations, doctors place themselves at risk of antagonizing HMOs, which pay for the bulk of medical bills under the current system. Every time a precautionary electrocardiogram is performed on someone suffering from chest pain, it is the HMOs that truly suffer. The board is working on passing a revised Hippocratic Oath, tentatively to be titled the PhysCare Plus Family Econoplan Quality Pledge. We thank Julie for that. From the Only in America file, we have the following. Kindergartens in Boston will begin issuing report cards this year evaluating children on three dozen skills. 
I want to give my son the mindset to get into first grade, said one father, rather than the traditional kindergarten fair, milk and cookies, taking naps, reading stories. A school official said today, four-year-olds no longer had time to waste. Kindergarten, he said, should be about preparing them to be five-year-olds in the real world. And no, that apparently is not a joke. And let us also recite the good week four, bad week four section, at least in terms of some items from the bad week four. It was a bad week for remorse last week as a Norwegian man who was hauled to court for jumping on stage during a rock concert and copulating with his girlfriend. During a break in the hearing, Tommy Hole Ellingson dropped his pants down to his ankles. Oops, he said, smiling. Apparently it was a bad week for respecting your elders when a Tennessee store owner, age 57, was arrested on charges that he spanked two 19-year-old female employees for making mistakes on the job. Police said the woman put up with the spankings for more than a year because they were brought up to respect anyone who is an authority figure. Well, we'll go on record here at Radio Parallax as saying that we don't necessarily respect just anyone who is an authority figure, so there'll be no spankings during this broadcast. And it was a bad week for law and order when apparently overworked police in Albany, New York, told a man who was trying to turn himself in for robbing a bank that they were busy and would he please come back tomorrow to be arrested. I can't vouch for this story, but, you know, what can I tell you? It's out there in the mainstream media. Well, that, that means it must be true. And we should rejoice in the fact there's a lot of political gloom settling around the nation. We should rejoice in the fact that our First Amendment still seems to be working and we're going to try and exercise it today pretty thoroughly. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea to quote the founder of our country, George Washington, with the following, it will be found an unjust and unwise jealousy to deprive a man of his natural liberty upon the supposition he may abuse it. Four quick items. 51% of Americans between 18 and 29 believe that President Bush wants to reinstate a military draft. Well, I think he does. That's a story we're going to continue to watch with you 18 to 29-year-olds. Here's an item. I mean, this maybe should come under the bad week for scientific literacy category. 20% of Americans believe the sun orbits the earth. Another 17% know it's the earth that circles the sun, but they think it makes the trip once a day instead of once a year. Brief economic item from U.S. News & World Report. One-third of all baby boomers have nothing saved for retirement. I don't think it would do well to forget the following little item from the LA Times. Russia still has 8,200 nuclear warheads. Each one is roughly 20 times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. All right, an item from uh, Charles Babington, Washington Post, a headline repeated in yesterday's San Francisco Chronicle. House Republicans propose changing their rules. Tuesday night, to allow members indicted by state grand juries to remain in a leadership post, a move that would benefit Majority Leader Tom DeLay, Republican of Texas, in case he's charged by a Texas grand jury that has indicted three of his political associates. Well, I am sympathetic to this plight in Washington. If, if we're going to start tying people up just because they're indicted on ethics charges, how would any business be conducted in Washington? 
We reported on last week's show that we were going to try and get Beverly Harris to speak with us, but Bev Harris is uh, quite busy. She's down in Florida challenging um, voting officials to produce receipts from electronic machines, the proper ones, the ones that are signed, to um, to do some surveys of how the vote turned out in Florida. Of course, uh, right now in New Hampshire, Ralph Nader has been requesting a recount. Uh, in Ohio, the Libertarian Party is requesting a recount. Apparently, the third-party candidate there, Libertarian Michael Bednarik, is asking them to take a look at some of the outcomes. Uh, there's a lot of hand-wringing going on right now. You may have seen on the web a letter by Ian Solomon in the, the Hartford Current newspaper was republished around the country. He was uh, a supporter of John Kerry, a high-priced lawyer, uh, or at least a highly qualified lawyer, sent to go look at things, uh, make sure there was no um, uh, untoward behavior, and he didn't see any. But he's noting the fact that we brought up on this show that it doesn't mean that things weren't done inside of computers that amounted to quite a bit of mischief. Uh, we're going to continue to follow what Bev Harris is up to, but we don't have um, we don't have it summarized well at the moment. A lot is still going on, but trust me, trust me. We will continue to follow this story. And um, let us quote Robert Perry, who we'll be, we'll be speaking with at length in our second segment, uh, on this issue because he had um, he summarized this very well on, on, his, um, on his website, consortiumnews.com, on November 13th, with the following. You might think that the major media that got suckered by George W. Bush's Iraqi weapons of mass destruction claims last year about its own fallibility. But no. The elite U.S. news media are now criticizing common citizens who have raised questions about voter fraud in the November 2nd election. The New York Times has joined the Washington Post and other major news outlets in scouring the Internet to find and discredit Americans who have expressed suspicions that Bush's victory might not have been entirely legitimate. The New York Times front page story was entitled, Vote Fraud Theories Spread by Blogs Are Quickly Buried. Mr. Perry goes on to cite an incident I remember extremely well. In 1986, October, Oliver North's secret supply planes were uh, bringing guns down to the Contras illegally in Nicaragua. One of them got shot down. There was a surviving crew member, Eugene Hassenfuss. He correctly named Vice President Bush's office and the CIA as participants in the illegal operation. But for years, the big media accepted Bush's denials and they dismissed Hassenfuss's claims. At this point in time, we would like to mention the fact that another person that covered that story extremely well, Gary Webb, a man that should have won a Pulitzer Prize for his work for the San Jose um, Mercury News in exploring what was going on involving um, uh, CIA operations to supply the Contras and drug dealing that was taking place. Gary Webb, we're proud to report, has now joined the Sacramento News and Review, our favorite local investigative um, uh, newspaper and did an excellent, an excellent piece about video games and their use and their application for the United States military. We, um, we hope very much to bring um, Gary Webb on this program in the near future. In addition to Gary Webb, we will be going, I think, over to the News and Review to talk to them about an interesting story that is brewing. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say about it uh, for the present time, but... Um, I'm sure that you'll find it uh, find it quite quite intriguing, and I'll just leave you with that little teaser. As long, long as we're in a forward-promoting mode, let's also mention that uh, local bee columnist R.E. Grasswich has agreed to come on our program in the next few weeks, and we certainly look forward to that. He is a, a, a very amusing fellow, has some very uh, great insight, and um, 
has appeared on KDVS previously on Jeff Kravitz's program, Panic Attack. I'm looking in front of me right now at uh, Sacramento Magazine's November issue where uh, Ari Graswich was named Best Local Newspaper Columnist. And I think he deserves that. Uh, although Dan Walters and Diana Griego-Irwin are, are pretty good also. I do have some questions about Sacramento Magazine's readership. When they noted among their choices for Best Alternative Newspaper, number one was Sacramento News and Review. Fair enough. The number two choice, however, was a tie between the Sacramento Business Journal and the Sacramento Bee. And I, I have a little question about the alternative in the title of Best Alternative Newspaper when you're referring to the Sacramento Business Journal or the Bee. And my suspicions appear to be confirmed by the third choice of Sacramento Magazine's readership for Best Alternative Newspaper, which they listed as USA Today. I guess it's like any other exercise of democracy. We should be reminded uh, they make some good choices and some bad ones. The best farmer's market was Davis, beating out Denio's Roseville uh, Farmer's Market. On the other hand, I have some doubts about Sacramento's claim to be a first-class city when I look at Sacramento Magazine's choices for best donuts, which they thought was Krispy Kreme, and best fried chicken, which the readership thought was KFC. And there's no sense dodging it. Sacramentan of the Year, along with Best Local Official, along with Most Influential Local Person, the hat trick performed by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. And on that note, let's switch from Sacramento Magazine back to the Sacramento News and Review for an article in the Bites column on, uh, on last week's issue, which I think is worth going over. Bites cited United Press International Newswire's story about uh, a decline in popularity back in Austria by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Public backers in Austria had put together funding for a $6.4 million steel statue of Schwarzenegger's Terminator character to be built in his hometown of Graz, where it would stand alongside effigies of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and Kaiser Franz Joseph. And why shouldn't the Kaiser and Mozart have Arnold's Terminator character in the same square? Project manager Herwig Hauler notes that the project has been shelved because of citizen outrage over Schwarzenegger's Bush capades. Yes, apparently the fact that Arnold went to bat for George W. Bush in Ohio has led angered Austrians to call for the renaming of the Arnold Schwarzenegger football stadium. Now, Arnold has been in office for one year. You may have seen his interview on Larry King the other night, where Larry asked his usual probing questions such as, Do you still read Variety? Well, let's do a, our own little review of, of the governor's one year in office. Um, apparently, November 2003, shortly after taking office, uh, do you recall the governor's staff announcing that he was going to pull out of the California state suit to recover $9 billion in overcharges from power companies? It seems to me that the illegal looting of the California economy that took place by mainly Texas oil traders is something that, it might, you know, it would have been good to have tried to have gotten some of that money back. $9 billion would, um, would pay quite a few bills, but the Schwarzenegger administration decided to withdraw. Am I wrong? And as you recall, one of the 
most consistent criticisms of Governor Gray Davis was that he was spending all of his time fundraising. Well, yesterday's San Francisco Chronicle headline was the following. Governor sets money-raising record. $26.6 million in his first year, most of it from special interests. Gray Davis's first year of office had him netting 13.2, so Arnold is ahead of the pace by a factor of more than two. According to the article, the vast majority of the money came from special interests deeply vested in the outcome of legislative and regulatory decisions in Sacramento, including financial companies, auto dealers and manufacturers, and healthcare concerns. In some cases, the governor who took office a year ago today has taken positions that benefited his contributors. I, for one, am shocked to hear it. Shocked! There's a lot of bad ideas circulating out there in the country, but um, I think one of the worst, uh, I think it's fair to say, is the initiative to change the United States Constitution that li currently limits the presidency to people born in the United States and open it up to people who have been citizens for 20 years. This, of course, is a rather bald-faced effort to make Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, President of the United States. There's even a website now up and get dedicated to this proposition. Radio Parallax opposes this. The clock says we are out of time on our first segment, so let's take a short break, after which we will be joined by Robert Perry, a journalist of some repute. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. <laughs> 